Welcome back to the Growing Lean podcast, sponsored by Lean Discovery Group. This is your host, Dylan Burke, also known as Deej. I'm very happy to be here with Mike Schindler, the founder and CEO of Operation Military Family and co-executive producer of It's VUCA. Welcome, Mike. Oh, Deej, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to explore and unpack everything that we're going to talk about. Amazing. I'm I'm also very excited. Um, To get us started, Mike, can you tell us a bit about your background and history and how you ended up in the business you're in today? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I'm third generation Navy, so I always kind of had this thought that I would join the military at some point. Um, But when I was 16, uh, I thought I really want to be Perry Mason. So for your audience that isn't familiar with Perry Mason, he was this high, you know, high profile attorney on TV that was kind of the sleuth and and investigative reporter, but also he'd come back and win his court cases. And actually, I went to see a movie in uh, 1986. So that kind of dates me a little bit. Uh, but I was 16 and walked into this movie. And when I walked out, it confirmed what I wanted to do. I, I walked into the recruiter that day. And uh, looked right at him and said, I'm Tom Cruise. I'm going to fly your cool jets and I'm going to date Kelly McGillis. And uh, at that point, I signed uh, with the Navy and uh, ended up being able to do some cool stuff with the Navy. Never flew cool jets. Uh, And that just kind of fast track. Uh, When I got out, I got into startups. Uh, So um, really under. I kind of understood the startup space, made a ton of money in startups, lost a ton of money in startups. Uh, and then I think it was uh, 20, 2006, my best friend deployed to Afghanistan. And that's when I wrote my first book. And uh, that's really, that was kind of the uh, the catalyst that kicked off our nonprofit, our philanthropic effort, Operation Military Family, uh, which really works on mission purpose identity for our military and veteran families when they get out of service. Uh, and that uh, if you're in the nonprofit space, there, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And I'm sure we can talk through that. And then um, about five years ago, I met Chris Nolan out of Hollywood and we started working on documentaries. And uh, that the result of that during the pandemic was us doing this groundbreaking film that interviews 17 of some of the world's top military leaders, thought leaders, neuroscience experts, and really how to move people from stuck to unstuck using military methodologies. So it's been a journey. It's been crazy. That's amazing. Well, firstly, thank you for your service. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to unpack some challenges that you've faced um, getting to where you are. So what have the biggest challenges been, uh, firstly, for your nonprofit and then in your uh, documentary series? What, what have the biggest yeah. challenges been and how have you faced them? Yeah. So I think, you know, in both it's, it's, you know, I'll take them separately. The nonprofit, uh, you know, there's people that want to start nonprofits all the time, right? So it's kind of a crowded space, you know, in, I think, geez, in the U.S. alone, there's over 45,000 nonprofits that serve our military and veteran families. And some uh, are doing the same thing, right? So it's competing forces in many uh and as a result of that, there's always funding issues. I don't want to say always, but a number of nonprofits uh, deal with funding issues. Now, we've just celebrated over a decade, uh, which the average nonprofit lasts about five years or less, but 80% of them fold within five years. We just celebrated the decade moving on to the 11th year. 
Um, and you know, if, if you're in the nonprofit space, you've got to be really clear. Number one, what is my mission? Um, and what are my funding mechanisms? And in the early stages, we were small and then we started to grow. And it really is because we, we didn't just rely on donations, foundations, and grants. We also created a fee-for-service model. And I think anybody that explores the nonprofit space really needs to have three lines of revenue, at least three lines of revenue. Um, in the documentary space, you know, when the pandemic hit, distribution changed, right? All of Hollywood changed, as a matter of fact. And it, how you distribute uh, you know, old distributors, now you really have to have relationships with streamers and you've got to get streamers involved and you still have to come up with money. So in some ways it's similar to nonprofits. You got to get somebody to buy into the idea that's willing to back you and still come with your own funds as well. Um, and, it, it, you know, I, I mean, we just went through the Hollywood strike, right? Which, you know, the writer strike and the actor strike and and, you know, how is AI playing into all of that? And so that's a very dynamic space. And how we really navigate all of this, Deej, is we're really clear on what our mission is. We have clarity around this. Now, how we get there might change, but we're really clear on the direction we want to go. And I think in today's environment, people have to be really clear on who you're serving and what your vision is. And when the vision is big, the circumstances don't matter as much. I mean, they still matter, but not as much, right? Because you're going to go through walls to get there. And people just have to have that clarity. 100%. And is it safe to assume that it's VUCA is your main source of income um, in terms of a business owner? It, it's it's one of them. Yeah, that, that whole film, that documentary, which uh, came out in 2022, uh, evolved into an executive leadership training program, uh, which has gone international. And it is one of my sources of of, of income. Um, again, like I uh, suggested in the nonprofit world, uh, I have multiple sources of income. So whether it's through books or whether it's through uh, speaking or training, um, I also get paid by our nonprofit to come in and uh, navigate some of both our federal grants, but also um, the training piece. That, that we do through that, really working with our military and veteran families. So I'm, I'm, I joke, I'm over 50 and yet I still feel like I'm in the gig economy, right? <laughs> Where, but I think people need to be smart about that. Um, the shelf life of skills today, for anybody that's graduating out of college, and even for people in the workplace, your, your, your shelf life on your current skill set is less than five years. So when you look at all the data, You've really got to be committed to being a growth mindset individual. You can't say, hey, this is the way I've always done things, and I'm always going to do it this way because you'll be left behind. So uh, being in both worlds in a very entertainment-driven um, but service-driven industry and with a nonprofit being entirely service-driven, we're always evaluating ourselves on a quarterly basis. What do we need to do? What's working? And how do we have kind of a future back mindset? How do we see into the future and look at what we're doing now and how do we need to evolve ourselves? A hundred percent. And would you be able to walk me through your overall business strategy? Yeah. So it's, it's, it, it's really, so on the for-profit side, which is our film executive leadership 
training company side, it's it's pretty simple. What we end up doing with companies is, uh, you know, we go into most companies, and I'm just going to give you the framework, okay? Um, is we just go into a company and we say, hey, listen, uh, and I'll take a scenario. Let's uh, companies now are, are uh, requiring their employees to come back to work, right? So they, you know, return to work. You know, what's a return to work strategy? We actually call it a return to culture strategy because people want to be. Uh, if you look at employees today, they want to be. They want to have flexibility, right? Um, they want to have something that is purpose driven. They want to have purpose driven work. Right. That's a big deal. And they want to have personal and professional development. So when you look at those three factors and we go into companies, we evaluate that number one. But we say, hey, listen, you need to pick a project or initiative that is real that we can track, okay, that we can get involved in. Number two, it's got to have an ROI, meaning it's we either have to look at this project. Um, from a cost building perspective, like a revenue generating perspective or a cost saving perspective, that could be mean we have to improve morale because that'll improve efficiencies, but also drive revenue. And third is it's got to be so complex that you think it's going to take six to nine months. And so then what we'll do is we'll say, whatever you invest into this is initiative, we're going to 10x that within that time frame. And if we don't 10x it, we'll continue to work on it until we do. Does it make sense? So yeah. our strategy really is, and what happens because of the results we've had is we get a lot of referrals today. Um, you know, we still do some stuff on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, uh, but a lot of it is referral based. So we're very selective of, as far as who we work with. So. Okay. Amazing. Um, it's good to hear a referral based business. It means you're doing a lot of things right. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And how have you adapted over the last like couple of years to changes in the industry? Obviously, we've gone through so many changes in the last three years uh, in terms yeah. of technology, in terms of mindset um, after the pandemic. So how have you adapted during this time of change? Well, fortunately, I, I mean, I, I got immersed into change, right? So when, for your audience that doesn't know what VUCA means, VUCA came out of the 80s when the Soviet Union was falling it's a military term. Military loves, we love our acronyms. Uh, it stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, right? Which is the world today, right? I mean, it hasn't, you know, it's not much different. But the flip side to that is vision, understanding, clarity, and adaptability. And those are things that we can actually control. So we get our team really focused on what are the things that we can control and how do we plan for the things that we can control Right, because we we can plan for things that are uncontrollables. We know they're going to happen. We just don't know when they're going to happen, right? But we can't necessarily change it. But what we can change is the things that we can control. So how do we prepare, plan, and execute on those? That's our PPE. So we all joked during, you know, the pandemic. We said, yeah, we have our own PPE, which is prepare, plan, and execute. Right. So um, we do a lot of things virtually nowadays. That's how our company went from. Um, really local fo focused to international focused because technology was great. We adapted to it and we adopted it. Um, nothing replaces face-to-face -face, though. Deej, I'd say that I still encourage our teams to get together, shake hands, be in community because being human is an art. And there's so much creativity that comes from you and I having a cup of coffee sitting across the table than it does via Zoom. 
You know what I'm saying? So yeah, 100%. yeah we, we adapt. And, and we also know that in the next 10 years, there's going to be a hundred years of technological growth. That's, I mean, that's yeah. what reach research shows. Right. So we know we can't be like, well, this is the way we're going to do it. What we know is we have to be really clear on where we're going and we have to be, it's like fixed on the mission, flexible on the method. Does it make sense? So yeah, 100%. that's how we adapt. We're just very adaptable. Amazing. And on that point, what, what steps have you taken to utilize um, new tools and, and tactics that have become available over the last couple of years? Yeah. So chat GPT, uh, my business partner, Chris, he uses that a ton. He tests that. He understands how to prompt that. Um, we don't replace the creative side of what we do with chat GPT, but we prompt it to, to either maybe do some research and then we verify that research because we know there's been some challenges there. Um, uh, we might do it for like a framework of an idea that we're playing with that gives us some more ideas, right? So we use technology to kind of prompt our creativity. Okay, we don't use it to replace our creativity. Um, we use, you know, social media to do more outreach, right? To expand our audience. Um, it's different now in that, you know, I've got to have it in my schedule. Like, oh, I've got to post to social media today, right? Now there are tools that will do that for us, but I still remain very active in that because I want it to be very personal. Um, because I think people are looking for authenticity. So I, that's how I remain tied to my audience, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't disperse all those things yet to technology. Um, did that help? 100%. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. These tools these days, especially with um, AI coming into the mainstream, it's crazy what we can do in the time, in like a fraction of the time it would take us to do these things before. And I think that's the biggest thing is utilizing the technology as a tool to do your work faster, not necessarily better, but faster. Yeah. It's really an efficiency thing. It's no different than, you know, we had the horse and buggy, right. And then they developed the car yeah. and people were freaking out. You know, the, the difference is people had 40 years to accept the car right? We usually have like months to accept new technology, new ways of doing things. That's why people are so, you know, kind of freaked out and overwhelmed in some cases, because they don't have time to kind of grow into it. It's like, no, this is thrust on us. Um, and that's why it's so important that we really work on our mindset. Um, what we call benign observation, which is understanding that we're at the right place. We're in the place that we need to be at the right time for us to understand how to grow. And it really forces us as humans to let go of a fixed mindset. This is the way we've always done it. I'm not going to change into, no, no, life is happening for me, not to me, but for me. So now I need to understand what I'm to learn from this. Make yeah. sense? I mean, unfortunately, our education system doesn't really promote that, uh, which is why people are having challenges. So we got some work to do there, too. Yeah, 100%. I agree completely. And it reminds me of an analogy I like to use is that having like these AI tools today in business is like having a 
iron tool in the stone age being just dropped in front of you. You still need to figure out exactly how to use it. But once you do, it'll make you a hundred times faster than everyone else around you. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. And totally. I think that's a good comparison. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Cause it's dropping. Those AI tools are dropping really fast. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And not, not all of them are going to last, but some of them that actually bring impact to your business are definitely going to, um, Back to your business, are you what what metrics or KPIs do you use to to measure the success of firstly your business and those you help? Yeah, so we have both qualitative and quantitative goals. Um, certainly in our nonprofit, uh, you know, we measure areas like on a qualitative basis, we measure areas like, you know, are there improvements, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, relationally, financially? We look at those. Right. You know, when we look at a quantitative, you know, it's how many throughputs do we have? You know, how many people are enrolling into our programs uh, on a monthly, quarterly basis? Um, how many people are completing uh, what we're doing? Right. So when they get involved, are they to completion? How many people are rolling out of that program and getting into uh, best fit, best qualified, best cultural fit employment? How long do they stay in that you know, employment. So these are things that we measure, um, which is very easy to, you know, on the quantitative, it's very easy to measure those on the qualitative. It's really subjective, but it really is based on what the individual shares, right? Um, Do they see improvements in those areas? Um, You know, in the film business, you're, you're always looking at reach and eyeballs, you know, how many people are watching what we create, how many people are enrolling in that program um, as well. Uh, so we look at that too. Amazing. And what metrics are you, would you like to improve? If you could choose one, what's the most important one you are looking to improve in the next couple of years? Yeah, well, that's pretty easy. I mean, uh, this was based off a radio interview I did a decade ago. And the lady asked how much money I wanted to make. And honestly, DJ, I had not thought about it. Um, <laughs> and I just kind of blurted it out. And it was live radio. And she said, well, how much money do you want to make? And I said, $100 million. And I, I hadn't even thought of that before, to be honest with you. And she's like, $100 million. I can't believe you want to make $100 million off the backs of veterans. And um, I was really curious why she would say it that way. And so I was about to say, well, you know, walk me through that. And um, and she said, $100 million again. And it just cemented in my brain. I said, yeah, $100 million bucks, a dollar for every life we impact. So for me, it's about impact. So if there's one thing that we can improve is really our outreach and our messaging to more of the world, right? Because for us, it's about equipping and empowering those individuals who come into our programs, whether they're veterans or whether they're executive leaders or CEOs, doesn't matter. Equipping them with the right tools and mindset so that when they are faced or hit in the face, what we call hit in the face in the military with external things, that they know how to navigate not only themselves, but their teams through it so that they come out the backside better improved, both personally and professionally. 100%. I love that. And I love the justification for a dollar for every life saved. That must have shut her up on the interview. Oh, it did. It totally changed the conversation. (laughs) But it changed my life, too. I was like, oh, my gosh. Where did that come from? (laughs) Right? So, you know, sometimes you get that divine spiritual moment in your life 
um, regardless of, you know, who, who you say is your divine. And you're like, wow, that, that was life-changing. Amazing. I, I love that so much. And in the next one, two, or let's say in three years time, um, what would you like to have been accomplished? If we sat down again in three years time, what would you like to have evolved to um, and changed from now? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, uh, you know, personally and professionally, I certainly have those mapped out. Um, honestly, one, one of our visions is is to have a $10 million endowment for a nonprofit, right? So that it outlives me. Um, and that's really a primary focus for our team in the next uh, three years is really to establish that endowment um, and, and also to be much closer to our $100 million mark in our for-profit, uh, you know, in the next three years, that for-profit should be generating eight figures. And that's really our focus there is how do we do that? And we do that through entertainment because we know that people love to be entertained, but it's entertainment that, that hopefully creates them to be a seeker so that they want to dive deeper. And then, you know, they jump into the program and, and the, the programs are life changing, to be honest with you. So Great. That, that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, I love the goals and aspirations and I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will get there for sure. Um, we yeah. are, we are running out of time though, unfortunately, but I wanted to ask before we go, what piece of advice would you give to other business owners um, or any entrepreneurs looking to enter your industry? Uh, the most important so when we get into industry is we're all kind of like Luke Skywalkers, right? We're kind of clueless. <laughs> we we know that we want to save the universe. We just don't know how. And the key to his success, to that character's success was mentorship. And if there's one thing I would say is get a mentor, get a mentor, find somebody who has gone before you and take them out to coffee, offer to buy him a $5 cup of coffee, sit down with them or do a Zoom call. And say, listen, I want to mentor. I want to learn what you learned. I want to know what you know. I want to know what I need to pay attention to. Get a mentor. 100%. Amazing. And well, thanks again, Mike, for, for being on the show. What, what is the best way for people to reach out to Mike Schindler if they want to follow your story or if you have any offers for them to take advantage of? Yeah, they could go to itsvukamax.com. That's a, you know, you can reach out to us there. Um, uh, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. You know, uh, you can find me there. Uh, those are probably the two best ways. Uh, or, or they can call me. To be honest with you, I mean, I'll give you my mobile number. It's two zero six seven nine five five eight nine zero. People are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you give your number. It's so interesting to me the people that don't use it though. Um, I will be readily accessible. I'm happy to have a conversation with somebody just to help them jumpstart. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I'm sure our audience appreciates that as much as I do. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds. I'm going to follow your story very much on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Hey, thanks for having me, Deej, for sure. Awesome.